Amen. All right, you guys can be seated. So we're now getting into the last couple of verses of our memory scripture. Oh my gosh. So our lesson tonight. Yes, hopefully the titles for all of our midweeks help you memorize this as well. But tonight is Love Always Protects. Love Always Protects. And we're going to start with our memory scripture. So you guys can jot it down. It's up here so you can see it. Start memorizing it. The big final exam is in three weeks. So make sure you're ready for it. Three weeks. This whole thing. It is basically two paragraphs, about eight sentences. It's very, it's very easy. The hardest part is verses one through three to memorize, but, um, but we'll go ahead and read this right now. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels... But do not have love. I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Tonight is love always protects. So point number one, and what we're going to jump right into is simply God always protects. We, we looked at the beginning of the semester in 1 John 4, 16, it just says God is love. So with everything in that verse, you could say God is blank. God is blank. So God always protects. We're going to start in 2 Kings chapter 6. So go ahead and open up 2 Kings 6, verse 8. Taking it back. Taking it back. And we're actually going to read in this section probably my favorite verse in the entire Bible. Alright, 2 Kings 6, verse 8. <coughs> All right, it says, Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware of passing that place, because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? He thought that there was a snitch among his own officers. So he's ticked off because every time they're setting up to go and attack Israel, the Israelites are there, they're armed, and they're ready. They're not caught by surprise. Verse 12 says, None of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, 
tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had, arounded, had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the, as the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, this is not the road and this is not the city. Follow me. And I will lead you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. So Elisha's starting to set up this trap. He's the one they're looking for. But God struck this entire force with blindness. So they have no idea who the man is that's talking to them. And so this, in their minds, this random guy says, Hey, come follow me. I'll show you the guy that you're looking for. And they have no idea that that's him right there. So we pick up in verse 20. After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked, and there they were inside Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, Shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? This guy's a little bit too excited. Right here. He asked the question twice. Can I kill them? Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill those you have captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them, and after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away, and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. So the king of Aram, he's trying to take Israel out. He wants to wipe out God's people. And every time he plans the attack, Elisha simply goes to the king of Israel and says, all right, here's where you gotta set up camp. Here's where you got to be ready. And every time the Arameans try to attack, it fails. Israel's there. They're armed. They're ready. So now this king's furious. And he finds out from his officers it's Elisha that keeps foiling my plans. <laughs> this is the guy who keeps telling the king of Israel where we're going to be coming from. So he decides we got to kill Elisha. We're going to take this guy out. So Elisha and his servant are by themselves in this city, basically in this valley surrounded by mountains. The king of Aram sends this entire armed force of horses and chariots. They surround the entire city. And the servant of Elijah looks up and sees all these people here to kill the two of them. I mean, we're talking tens of thousands of people to kill two people. That shows you how scared they are of Elijah that they would have to get so many people. And the servant starts freaking out and he says, Oh no, what do we do? And you know, we can get like that sometimes, right? We can start worrying and freaking out. And we start thinking when it comes to our relationship with God and our lives as disciples, we start thinking, okay, you're, you're with your roommates, you're with your teammates, and they're all gossiping about someone else. And you can feel like, oh no, what do I do? Everyone else here is gossiping. I know I, I'm not supposed to do that, but what do I do? 
Or you can be in a situation where you're in your dorm on the weekend and you get that text inviting you to a party that you know is going to be sinful. And you start freaking out. Oh no, what do I do? Which is exactly what this servant was asking. Or you're about to share your faith with someone, but you feel scared and you start worrying about what they're going to say. Oh no, what do I do? You're studying the Bible with someone and they get offended by the scripture you just shared with them. Oh no, what do I do? And we can be just like this servant where we get into a challenging situation and we just freak out and we worry and we get overcome by anxiety. But when Elisha hears his servant freaking out, what does he tell him? He says, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. This is probably my favorite scripture in the entire Bible, verse 16. Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And all of us, we have to open our eyes to be able to see God's power and God's army that is all around us. And when I think about this scripture, and when I think about my life and the power of God that's around me, I think about a clip or scene from Lord of the Rings, the second one, The Two Towers. So any, have you guys seen Lord of the Rings? You guys seen it? So at the very end of the second movie, The Two Towers, it's the last battle, the epic battle at Helm's Deep. So this is a city, it's a walled city, and it's actually in a valley. You kind of have to go into this valley and go up, and the city is built on the side of a mountain. Like there's a wall there, and the city is sort of in the mountain. So you've got all the different characters, right? You've got Frodo and the Hobbits, and you have Legolas, or, who is played by Orlando Bloom, and you've got the little, you've got like the, um, you've got the dwarf and, and kind of all his friends who are there fighting. And they come up to this city, and you've got this whole army coming up. And as they attack the city, all of the orcs come out. And the orcs are kind of these nasty, like, manufactured, almost zombie-like beings. And they're controlled by Sauron, like the evil leader, kind of of the dark world and all this. And so they're fighting, and all of the humans and the elves and the dwarfs who are fighting for good, they start getting massacred, wiped out. They're losing this battle. People are dying all around them. And it's basically over is what they think. I mean, they're kind of resigned to the fact that we're all going to die today. And then all of a sudden, they look up at the top of the mountain. And something incredible happens. We're going to watch what happens right here.
Alright. But that's honestly, when I read this scripture, that's what I think of, right? Because we feel that way sometimes. Man, we're in the valley, we're fighting. We're fighting to be righteous. We're fighting to stay pure. We're fighting to be courageous, to share our faith, to make an impact. And a lot of times it feels like, man, what do I do? I feel so overwhelmed. This feels so hard. And we forget the fact that if we just look up for a second, we see God's entire army right there with us, fighting for us, waiting to rush the valley, to come to our aid. We have that as disciples available to us all the time, 24-7, everywhere we go. Yeah. And I imagine that this scene is what it looked like when God opened the eyes of Elisha's servant and he saw all the horsemen and the chariots of fire surrounding the army that he thought was going to kill them. You know, I think about this when I'm scared to share my faith. I think about this verse. I think about this verse when I'm worried about speaking up about something that's not right. I think about this verse when I need courage. Because for us as disciples, those who are with us are so much more than those who are with them. Any pressure we feel from the world, any pressure we feel from people who don't have God, we are so much stronger than that because we have God's army yes. right there with us all the time. God always protects. Look at a couple verses here. You guys can just write these down. 2 Chronicles 6 verse 19, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to them. God's protection strengthens us. Psalm 34, 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. God's protection delivers us. Psalm 125, verse 2. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. God always protects. His protection surrounds us. Here's a key way that God protects us. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So we're going to read this one together. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 12 through 13. You guys doing all right here? Yeah. yeah. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting verse 12. All right, verse 12 says, So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. God protects us from sin. When we're tempted... God always provides a way out. Not just sometimes, not just once a week, not just when it's really extreme. He always provides a way out. God is not slow to action when He sees that we're struggling. He moves right away, instantly, and gives us a way out. He jumps on it and He protects us. When I think about this scripture and the way God protects us, you guys have probably seen this or 
things like this. But I often think that this is what God is like when he sees us struggling. videos on YouTube of these types of things. It's just called dad saves, like epic dad saves, where at the last second, dad comes in and just, it's that instinct, you know, it's just that instinct that fathers have, like they know, they know where to be. They can see what's about to happen. God is our perfect father. God is the dad who catches us at the perfect moment. He's the one who grabs us when we're about to crash into the side of a van. He's the one who, when we're falling, about to smack our head on this, the floor of the supermarket, he grabs us by the belt with an inch of space, and we're unharmed. We're okay. He jumps in at the perfect time. You guys, there will never be a situation where you are tempted beyond what you can bear. That's just not going to happen. There's never going to be a situation where you're struggling and there's not a way out. There is always a way out. There's always a way to stand up under it and be righteous. With the same heart that God protects us, he also expects us to protect each other. So the second thing and the last thing we're going to talk about tonight is God expects us to always protect. He always protects and he expects us to do that. Look at Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews 3, verse 12. All right, chapter 3, verse 12, it says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. I love what verse 12 starts with. See to it. It's not optional, and it's of no small importance. See to it. God knows that our hearts can get to a point where they're sinful and unbelieving. Yeah. 
So what does he tell us to do for each other? See to it. Make sure. Do everything you can so that none of our hearts become sinful and unbelieving. And it says in verse 13 how we do that is by encouraging one another daily. God expects us to always protect. My best friend in the world is a brother named James Rosenquist. And we became best friends junior year of high school. This was shortly after we had both become disciples. And honestly, if it was not for my friendship with James, I would not be a disciple today. I can say that with no doubt in my mind. The end of my senior year of high school was the closest I've ever come to leaving God after becoming a disciple. The end of my senior year, last few months, I wasn't having quiet times at all. I wasn't reading my Bible. I wasn't praying. All, the, all my friends started having graduation parties. And I remember going to this graduation party that was just so sinful, so worldly, and, and my heart was just hard. I just didn't even care. I wasn't, I wasn't worried about it at all. And I hadn't even gotten to the point towards the end of that year where there was a girl in my school who was going to college like a mile down the road from where I was going to school. And I even started plotting and planning at the end of that year how I could build a relationship with her, even though I knew she was not a disciple. I mean, it was obvious she wasn't a disciple. But I was to the point where I was just thinking, all right, I got last couple months at home here. As soon as I get to college, I'll start building a relationship with this girl. And, and I just had no, there was no softness in my heart at all. My heart was hard. It was unbelieving. It was sinful at that point. And James is the one that pulled me out of that. Every day he was praying for me and then praying with me whenever I would be willing to. He was calling me and texting me all the time just to encourage me, to remind me of what I have with my relationship with God and spurring me on to not give up. And he really, by the, by the time I got to the beginning of that summer after senior year, he had helped me get to a point where I was strong again, where I was doing okay where I wasn't having these watered-down, sinful thoughts about my relationship with God. But then what was crazy was about two months later, he started struggling. And now the roles reversed, where I said, okay, I've gotten stronger, and now he's struggling, so I've got to step in. And I remember this conversation we had. It was at the International Campus Ministry Conference at ICMC. And that year it was in New Orleans. So we're down in New Orleans, and James and I, this one night, we were up late at night talking, and we decided to kind of walk outside of the hotel at the conference. And we're walking around, and we saw there was like this area with a bunch of huge recycling bins, right? And right outside of one of the bins, there was this massive cardboard box. And we, I don't know why, we're 18 years old, so we just decide, let's just sit in this box. So we literally climbed in the box, and we're, like, it was, it was a massive box. It was like 10 feet by 10 feet. So we climb into this cardboard box, and we're talking. And James was talking to me, and, and again, he was, he's struggling at this point. He's not doing really well spiritually. And, and he started explaining to me how he feels like, you know, I think what I need to do is just kind of leave God and, and go into the world for a while and just experience the world and experience sin. And, and you know, after I do that for a while, I'll come back to God and, and I'll just have a great story about my relationship with God and, and how I had to fight through all this and overcome. But I think I just need to go into the world for a while and then eventually I'll, I'll come back to God. So he's explaining this to me as we're sitting in this box. 
And I look at him and I say, that is the dumbest thing I have ever heard. I literally say, I'm like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. And he was mad. He was offended at me. He thought it, he was like, that's so insensitive. How can you say that? I'm pouring my heart out. But that was the truth. He was angry, but he knew what I was saying was true. And really by the next day, he wasn't even thinking that anymore. He's like, man, you know what? That was, that's right. That's a stupid thing. Why would I ever think that way? But our friendship with each other is what protected us mm -hmm. from our hearts becoming sinful and unbelieving. So you guys have to ask yourself the question, who are you doing that for right now? Who are you encouraging in that way right now? And as you look around this room and as you think about each other and you look at each other as brothers and sisters, are you doing that for each other? Because God calls us to protect each other daily. For the brothers, this means you guys hold each other accountable. This means you check up on each other. You don't let things go unaddressed. And it means that you take the sisters on dates. It means that you make them feel like princesses. It means that you tell them how awesome they are and how grateful you are for them. That's what it means to encourage them daily. And for the sisters, this means that you don't have bitterness or envy towards each other. This means that you don't let any prideful or judgmental thoughts in your heads or your hearts about one another. It means that when you look at your brothers, you respect them. It means that you let them lead. It means that you tell them how much you appreciate them. That's how we encourage each other daily and make sure no one has a sinful, unbelieving heart. But along with encouraging each other, protecting each other in that way, another way that we have to protect one another is by not doing anything that could cause someone else to struggle. Yeah. Look at this verse. Romans 14. We're going to start in verse 13. Romans chapter 14, verse 13. You guys still with me? Yeah. All right, we just got a couple more verses to look at here. All right, so as you guys are turning there, Romans 14... Basically, the context of this scripture, Romans was written to the church in Rome. And the church in Rome had both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. So it had people coming from totally different backgrounds. Now, some of the, the Jewish Christians, right, Christians who had converted from Judaism, felt like they still wanted to keep the Sabbath, and they wanted to abstain from certain foods. Like There were parts of kind of what they had grown up with that they wanted to hold on to. And basically what Paul's addressing here is that, okay, that's your opinion, right? That if you want to, you can keep the Sabbath and abstain from eating certain meats. But if someone else has a different opinion, because it's not a biblical thing, don't judge someone on that opinion. But also for the people who had no problem eating those things, for the people who had no problem not keeping the Sabbath, Paul's also telling them, look, don't rub it in to their faces. Don't flaunt this. Don't do it in a way that's going to make them struggle since they've decided not to do that. So we're going to pick up here with that in mind, and you'll get an idea of the point Paul's getting at. Starting in verse 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. 
I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself, and that's in regards to food. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So what's the point that Paul makes over and over and over again in this section? Verse 13, he says, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block. Verse 15, don't by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Verse 19, make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual, mutual edification. Verse 21, it's better not to even eat meat or drink wine or do anything that would cause your brother or sister to fall. Basically, don't do this to each other. So don't do that to each other spiritually. Don't set up anything. Don't do anything that would cause someone else to struggle. So how do we make sure that we don't do that? Well, I think in general, a good thing to always keep in mind for all of us, for every one of you guys here, you have lived most of your lives not as disciples, right? And a small percentage right now of your lives as disciples. Now, the cool thing is, because you guys have been converted at this age, you'll get to a point, I mean, even by the time you're kind of building a family and into your career, you're going to get to a point where you've been a disciple for more time than you weren't a disciple, which is really cool. But at this point, you've been a non-disciple for much more time than you've been a disciple. So I think a huge way to avoid doing something that's going to make someone else struggle, two simple principles in Proverbs right here, Proverbs 12, 15, the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Proverbs 20, 18, plans are established by seeking advice, so if you wage war, obtain guidance. In general, the way to avoid doing something that's going to make someone else struggle, get advice. If you're not sure about something, if you're not sure about, hey, should I say this? If you're not sure, hey, should I post this on Facebook or on Instagram? Hey, should I do this thing? Hey, should I whatever? Get advice if you're not sure. Getting advice is going to save you from a lot of stupid mistakes. If it wasn't for me getting advice, I would have proposed to Kristen after four months of us dating. And it would have been terrible. But praise God. that I was ready. I wanted to. But praise God for advice, which prevented me from making an idiotic mistake. Question. I just happen to like read down the next verse, whatever, where it says, so whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. So what does it mean in that context, since we were reading that chunk of 
Scripture. So in this context in Romans 14, he's talking about eating meat and keeping the Sabbath. And it was causing issues in the church because there were so many different opinions about it. And some of the people who felt like, hey, you're not allowed to eat this type of meat or you have to keep the Sabbath, really that was their own opinion, but they were kind of forcing it on other people. So with that verse specifically, Paul's basically telling them, look, okay, that's fine that you believe that, like that you're not supposed to eat this meat or that you need to keep the Sabbath, but keep that between you and God. Because what they were doing was judging each other on things that weren't biblical. It was just their own opinions. Mm -hmm. So he says, look, okay, it's okay for you to feel that way, but keep it between you and God because it's not a biblical issue. It's just your opinion. So that's, that's where that comes in. So along with that, because that's a, a good, has a good relationship to these Proverbs, just get advice about all these different things. But I think a couple practical things to keep in mind with Romans 14, we're going to wrap up in a second. So again, I'm going to point out for brothers and sisters things to think about. Brothers, we don't need shirtless pictures or videos of you guys on social media. LOL. That is not going to help your sisters out. And sisters, in the same way, with what you dress and what you post, make sure it's pure. Make sure it's not going to cause any brother or anyone to struggle. Another thing, if you guys are hanging out watching a movie together, brothers, be mindful of the sisters. If there's a scene in the movie where the guy in the movie is just flaunting his muscles, skip the scene. Just go to the next chapter. If you guys are hanging out watching a movie, sisters, if there's a scene where there's a girl in the movie wearing something sketchy, be mindful of your brothers. Skip the scene. Just move past it. We don't want to do anything that would cause someone else to struggle or to fall. Um, I think another big thing to keep in mind, and, and again, this, what I'm saying to you is advice, okay? But I think that if you follow this, it is wise. And I've seen it to be wise in my own life. Don't talk to each other late at night, right? I'm talking about brothers and sisters talking to each other. Because once it gets to a certain point, our minds can go to crazy places. We just don't think straight. And you can kind of decide for yourself what that time should be. Like, hey, after this time, I'm not going to be on the phone with a, a brother. I'm not going to be on the phone with a sister just because I want to be wise. I don't want myself to struggle or to make them struggle. So you can decide what that time is. I would say as a good cap, definitely not past midnight. I think where our minds are after midnight generally is not in a you know rational, logical kind of disciplined place. So I think you want to be wise about that. And again, what you post on social media, right? You might think to yourself, oh my gosh, this video is hilarious. I know that, I know this girl's wearing a bikini in it, but it's so funny. I'll just post it. Well, no, it, it, it could make somebody struggle. Or this video is so funny. I know that the guy swears like 10 times in it, but it's so funny. That could make someone struggle. So we've got to be mindful of even the things that you post. Um, Again, I think getting advice is a great way to avoid doing something that's going to make someone else struggle. Amen? Amen. Um, last thing here, I think to always keep this in mind when it comes to how God is able to protect us and how we're able to protect each other, just jot this down, Proverbs 4, verse 6. Do not forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. Seek wisdom. Wisdom protects us. Wisdom protects each other. Mm -hmm. 
You can get wisdom by asking for advice, or you can actually ask God directly for it. James chapter 1 promises if you lack wisdom, ask God. He will give it to you. Always seek wisdom. God protects us. We've got to protect each other. To God be the glory. Amen. Um, Stick around for one minute. Riley has to go run a quick errand. And uh, just stick around for a second. You don't have to stay in your seat.